Hello and welcome to the For the Win podcast. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line by my colleague and friend of the show, Charles Curtis. How are you, Charles? Ooh, I get friend of the show status. I didn't know. Yeah, I mean, you've been on the show a bunch of times now, so I don't know how to... I don't want to keep introducing people as though people have never heard them before. If you've been listening to the show, you've heard what Charles Curtis has to say. (laughs) Friend of the show. And what comes above friend of the show? Partner? I don't know. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Kingpin? I feel like friend of the show is, is like the best best you can get out of a, out of a show. Uh, you know, and, yes. and it's it's a weird thing to use in introductions. Usually I feel like I would say friend of the show when it was like like if Charles Curtis had a huge scoop that we were talking about on the show, I would say like friend of the show Charles Curtis got this story and that's right. what, that's what we're reacting to. But I don't know. I blew it. It was you know what? It wasn't something I planned out. It was from the heart and it was also from the top of my head. But I liked it. So right. yeah, I liked it. I think it's a good thing. Well, as a as a semi-regular guest here, you know the drill for the early part of the week, we like to go through some, some stories we liked from the week that was. And uh, typically I start, so you get that last word. And I want to start uh, with something that happened in, uh, in a series between the Orioles and Red Sox. Uh, and things got kind of heated. Manny Machado slid into second base hard. Uh, Dustin Pedroia was attempting to turn a double play. Uh, Machado's foot kind of came up. If you watch the video, it does not look like there was an, any intent. But but Machado wound up spiking Pedroia, uh, injuring Pedroia. Pedroia had to come out of the game. He's, he's missed time since. Uh, and then it escalated. And then uh, the Red Sox tried to, or apparently tried to, get ret- retribution by Machado. Retribution on Machado, first by throwing three pitches way inside, uh, sort of towards the the part where it's okay to get hit uh, in your thighs and your your backside. Not not that it's necessarily okay to hit a guy, but uh, then in, in uh, it really bubbled up. When Machado came up and took a ball, a fastball right behind the helmet, uh, it actually hit the back of his bat, but it looked like it was going straight at his head from Red Sox pitcher Matt Barnes, who, is, who has since been suspended. Uh, but I want to say my good thing was the way Pedroia handled it throughout, and and uh, it's a it's sort of this weird saga of like baseball machismo has played out with Pedroia in the middle, like hey everybody. Don't do this. I don't care. Please stop. After the after the initial hit, uh, he said, you know, he said he his complaints were chiefly against the rules governing uh, how a player can slide into second base and and how a player can turn a double play, which is something as a guy who plays hard, he wants a little bit more freedom with. I would assume. Uh, he said he had no problem with Machado. He said Machado reached out to him. He said he thanked Machado for reaching out. And then he said when he asked about you know possible retaliation, he said I'm not the baseball police. And then uh, when the Red Sox did go in and try to hit. Machado. Uh, he could be seen on the field telling Machado, I wouldn't have told them to hit you in the head. Uh, that's not me. He kept saying, that's not me. And then after the game, he said, that was a mishandled situation. And people took this to be Pedroia throwing his teammates under the bus. Because in, in baseball, in the world of baseball, criticizing your teammates in public is one of the cardinal sins, right? For whatever reason, to many people, that is worse than trying to throw a 95-mile-an-hour fastball at another man's head. But uh, And it, 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 to many people, it seems like it is worse to say, 
my teammate shouldn't have thrown a 95-mile-an-hour fastball at that guy's head uh, than it is to actually do the throwing of that pitch. And I want to say good for Pedroia, and I think good for maybe humanity that he could manage such a a reasonable tack throughout. Uh, it, It... it was mishandled. He said he had no problem with Machado. It looked like an accident, right? And so if that if that's throwing your teammates under the bus, so what? So what, right? If you're on the side of uh, what I would say is like the correct one, pretty demonstrably here, don't punish this guy for what looked like an accident, then I don't think you really need to worry about this stupid clubhouse culture aspect of it because you're right and and you know maybe being a leader is throwing those guys under the bus sometimes it it was a it was a weird one but uh you know I just think it it all sort of came out with Pedroia a guy who you know I think a lot of us might imagine taking because he is such a you know dirty uniform type player you could imagine him getting up and punching Machado, but he, he did none of that. He just acted like a grown-up, and everyone else around him throughout the situation, managers, coaches, Orioles, relievers jumping into the mix, everyone else acted like a child. Machado was okay, and Pedroia was a grown-up. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the take I had. It, you know, you, you've, you've said on this podcast before that I'm reasonable take, Charles. I, my reasonable take here is... Yeah, everybody else is, is wrong, and Dustin Pedroia is right. And the, the thing that I, I took away from this, um, and you said most of the stuff that I, I completely agree with, is this is – if it was any other player, I think there would be a lot more sort of like pearl clutching and uproar having around baseball. Because, but because it's Dustin Pedroia, we know he's a veteran, and you called him like a dirty uniform guy. Like that's who Dustin Pedroia is, and he's a leader, and he's always been a leader, and he's a guy who – you know, it, I would listen to him wax poetic about about sort of the unwritten rules of baseball because he's lived it. Um, and of course, we all know that the unwritten rules of baseball are absurd uh, to an extent, with especially with the sort of the retaliation and retribution for for you know dirty plays, so called. Um, but the fact that it's Dustin Pedroia, like I trust the guy. You know, if he's going to call out his teammates, he, he probably talked to the pitcher Barnes right behind the scene, Matt Barnes behind the scene, and said, "Look, I didn't need you to do that. Don't do that." Please, you know, I, that's my guess. I'm speculating. You know, a uh, friend of the show does not have a scoop here. Um, no, I think, the, I mean, I think if you you're, know? if, if you're Dustin Pedroia, I, you're almost saying, like, let me fight my own fights here. Like, I'm not even mad, right? right? Like, why, why are you doing this? I'm the guy who was offended in this situation, and I'm not even mad about it. And if you watch the video, I mean, as soon as Machado hits him, if, you know, we don't know what evil lurks in Manny Machado's heart, right? But if right. Manny Machado was doing that intentionally, first of all, he did a really good job looking at ma- making it look like his leg just corner- side sort of slipped off the base and popped up and hit Pedroia. Uh, that would be a, a heck of a, uh, of a physical acting job. But then as soon as he hits him, he tries to catch him when he's falling down. It just did not look like a malicious thing at all. Well, I, and I also think that Manny Machado, unfortunately, has, you know, right? He has some of, like... Yeah, uh, he's those, behaved like, poorly he's broken, in the past. He's broken some of those unwritten rules, yeah. God forbid, you know, in the past. And I think that that is what comes along with this, which is sad to me because I love... We've talked about him on the show before. Manny Machado is one of my favorite players to watch because he's just so big and smooth for a big guy um, at third base and at shortstop. And he hits... His swing is unbelievably impeccable and beautiful. And so, like... 
he, you know, I want to call him one of those guys who plays the, the game the right way, capital T, capital R, capital G. Um, but, you know, in, in, in the baseball police world, apparently, you know, it's kind of like the way that Jose Bautista, I think, you know, same thing. It's like, oh, he's a punk, you know, but like, I don't know. Jose Batista hits the ball really far and he plays the game with the heart and passion. And like, you know, I don't know, it, 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 it unravels into a whole discussion that I know you are super passionate about. It just like, you know, rolling your eyes at some of this stuff. And it's just another example of that. Um, and hopefully it comes out of the game at some point. I don't know if it ever will, because it, I think the older guys are still teaching some of this stuff uh, to the younger guys. So I don't know, but um, you know, it's sort of, I'm thinking about Bryce Harper and making the game more fun and you know, that uh, hopefully will prevail over, over stupidity like this. Well, and I think it starts with a guy like Dustin Pedroia, like a respected right. guy like that, who is a veteran, who is the guy you'd expect to be like, no old school baseball rules. It's going to be this way to just be like, no, what I, and he said, he's like, I got three kids. I don't need to be the baseball police. Like, I don't really worry about that stuff. And that's right. Right. Right? Like, I mean, why are you going to escalate this little flap to the point where then maybe you yourself get hit with a ball? Like, you don't want that. It's it just, it's, it's stupid. It's just like, this was a, it never needed to be a thing. And then the Red Sox relievers went out and made it a thing and it was dumb. And, and to your point about Machado and, and he has had, uh, moments of indiscretion on the baseball field and, and some that seemed, you know, sort of violent and a little bit crazy a few years back when he was struggling. It was a few years back. He's only 24. I, I don't, right. and, and I know a lot of people won't won't excuse, you know, professional athletes. They have to be role models. They know they're going to be on stage. They know what they're getting into. They make these trade-offs. I don't know. Like, I, I always say, if people were following me through my college years to the, the way people have been following Manny Machado since he was 19 years old, I would be booed on the street wherever I went. <laughs> I mean, I was uh, that, I did yeah, stupid stuff. I did stupid stuff constantly. Yeah. You know, we forget that about athletes that that they're only you know. You, I think of you, when you said that, I'm, I immediately think of like D'Angelo Russell from the Lakers, where you know he taped uh, Nick Young talking about you know uh, uh, alleged indiscretions off the uh, off the court, um, and you know got his whole you know got in trouble. The dude was 19. I, I remember reading a sort of an ESPN magazine article recently. Um, or maybe it was beginning of the season about D'Angelo Russell. And it was, was it father? It was somebody, somebody said, I think maybe even the Lakers exec was like, look, he was 19. He does what he's doing, what college kids do at that age. And I'm thinking, yeah, like, yeah, it's the worst thing to tape, you know, your teammate in the, in the locker room. But like, that's what kids that age are doing. Um, so let's all, you know, I don't know, give a little bit of forgiveness and just say, hey, like, we're all learning here, you know, young young athletes. Anyway, so, yeah. No, and and I think the, the way, the frustrating response to that that always comes whenever, because I've written about this a bunch of times. Uh, back in the day, I don't know if you remember, Ruben Tejada, the Mets shortstop, when he was 20 years sure. old, he got, he ran into visa issues in Panama because he showed up to the visa office and it was closed. And everybody started killing Ruben Tejada for being, for being late to spring training. And so I wrote about this then. I always kind of try to take it easy on guys who are 20 years old. And and, uh, and the response is always like, well, my grandpa had to go fight in World War II when he was 18. And, like, that get, that wasn't plan A, right? Like, that wasn't – did your, did anyone want to go – it just it, – it's like, yes, it is – unfortunately, 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds and 20-year-olds have been put in tons of crazy adult situations throughout time. But I don't think that has anything to do with the life that – 
that Manny Machado grew up. It's just everybody has their own different thing. It's not the same, right? Obviously, you'd rather be playing baseball for a living than fighting in a war. But it's, right. because it's not the same, because it's not the same time, because it's not uh, – everybody is – we are all our own unique snowflakes or whatever. I don't know. I just <laughs> I just tend to have – like just the fact that my grandfather fought in a war when he was 18 doesn't make me look at today's 18-year-old and think like that kid should be a responsible, mature adult capable of defending our country. I see an 18-year-old and I think this kid's probably just as dumb as I was when I was 18, so I'm going to cut him some slack. Yeah, right on. Um, all right, let's go on. Let's go. This is a long time on, on my first thing. Let's go to your next thing, your first thing. We can be quick about this one. This is this is also, you know, athletes doing things that, that uh, anger certain people and shouldn't. Um, Russell Westbrook, uh, the star and should be MVP. You heard me say that a bunch of times on the Internet. I'm sticking with it. Um, Russell Westbrook of the Oklahoma City Thunder, um, after a loss to the Rockets on Sunday, um, he was sitting at a press conference, a uh, post-game press conference with Steven Adams, his teammate next to him, and a reporter immediately asked basically the question of, like, you know, to Adams, like, why is it that when Russell Westbrook is is not on the court that you guys are terrible? That was not the question, but that was basically the gist of it. Um, and his response, Westbrook jumped in and said, Stephen, don't answer that. Nobody's going to split us up. Don't try to split us up. Try, you know, it, it isn't like everybody else. We're a team and we're playing with a team and that's it. And then the reporter kept being like, wait, let him answer the question because it's a legitimate question, Stephen Adams. And, you know, Adams kind of sort of slightly shook his head and, and, and Westbrook was like, next question. And I love that. And I love Russell Westbrook and I've loved seeing what he's done this season, even if some of the stat heads or whatever you want to call them are like, well, you know, he's, he's like, you know, basically the only good player on the court and he's just hogging up all the time. It's an incredible feat to, to end up with a triple-double uh, average for the season. We all know that because it's only been done one other time. Um, but beyond that, I love the fact that he's stepping into press conference and doing this because, uh, you know, I think Deadspin wrote it and kudos to them for saying it, that, that these NBA press conferences sometimes are performance art. And that was what it was. He was saying like this to his teammates and not to, you know, this reporter. He's like, listen, man, like, you know, we're a team and we're going to play like a team. So bug off. And of course, the reporter being indignant, like, you know, I get that. I understand that. But he doesn't have to be. It's it, he got a great answer out of it. And press conferences like that are the best thing. So that's sort of my take uh, on the whole thing. Um, uh, you can jump in with yours as well. Uh, see, I would say I like the fire. Like, I like that it's an interesting press conference. I, those are always fun. And like a little bit of contention never hurt anybody in that setting. Uh, what right. was weird to me was that he's saying, like, don't make it about me. Don't make it about me. But he's saying that while he's stepping on his teammates' opportunity to speak, right? Like, they asked Stephen Adams the question, mm. and I feel like if I'm Stephen Adams and you're sitting there, and he deferred, right? But, like, that that seems sort of, like, count, counter to the point that Westbrook's trying to make, which is, like, it's all of us, we're in this together. But no, 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 but not Stephen Adams right now, because it's just going to be me talking. Yeah, that's a, that's a, an interesting take right there. But I... I... I just like the, the, the fire in, in Russell Westbrook. I think that's what I take away. Like, yeah, there's like press conference etiquette or there's, you know, sort of etiquette of like, I'm asking you, Stephen Adams. Um, and of course, it's always weird when the teammates sort of sit in there because you can't be like, hey, Russell Westbrook is terrible. Stephen Adams talk about that. You know, you can't really do that with the the the, the person in question sitting right there. Um, so probably it was a failure of a situation to begin with because you can't really ask the question that you really want to ask with, you know, Russell Westbrook staring you in the face. Um, 
But I just, I, you know, the, and I, think, I don't, I don't know how they set these up in the NBA, and I don't know what you know what rules are governing, how, you know, that how many minutes the players need to be available and how long these post games has, uh, sessions have to happen. But to me, it feels like shouldn't they have Westbrook? Shouldn't he just be on the podium by himself for a little while? Probably. And they yeah, ask Westbrook, Westbrook questions, and then you put Adams and some other dude on the team. You know, when you have when you want to have a few guys to ask questions from, maybe Russell Westbrook isn't that guy. But then again, that's putting him in a in a separate bucket than the team. So maybe that's not what he wanted. I don't know. Yeah, and it's funny you mention that. It brings me to. Um, events that I've been to, um, specifically NCAA tournament stuff, both men's and women's, where they put like three players and a coach on the podium together at the end of a game. And it's sort of like sometimes it can get really funny and awkward because you can say something to one guy or, or, or a female player and you, you know, you get a response from the others looking at each other funny or they, you know, you ask a question to the team and they all look at each other like, uh, who's going to answer that one? Uh, and somebody eventually awkwardly volunteers. Um, but yeah, it, it is a kind of a, a strange situation and, and one that, uh, you know, I'm coming, I'm coming over to your side a little bit. I just, I, I think that, that, you know, if you want that situation, yeah, get Russell up there alone or get Steven Adams up there alone or get him in, you know, one-on-one in a, in a locker room. But, uh, yeah, uh, I love the fire. Um, I love the performance and, uh, uh, you know, Steven Adams is a funny guy too. So we were robbed of, of something at least funny from that perspective. But I would say that a good look for Steven Adams is... While while it is a shame to not hear from him, that if he were to just like sit on the stage during every one of his teammates' press sessions and just occasionally like nod or shake his head, <laughs> I would say that's pretty badass because he looks like that dude from Game of Thrones, and I don't even watch Game of Thrones, but there's the one dude who I can identify that looks just like Stephen Adams. <laughs> you right? know, I, that's like the opposite of a hype man. He's like the the you know sort of the just the nodding hype. He's man. just the guy who's there. Like you know, when there uh, there was a Simpsons joke about this. Like when you know when he does something, it's going to be really cool, right? And yeah, so that is you true. just let him sit there until it's time for him to do something extremely t- cool, uh, or perhaps if you need something taken down off a very high shelf. <laughs> tall, tall, obviously, uh, always, always good for that. Yeah. Uh, I'll go on. I'll, I'll, can I go to the next thing? Should we go to the next thing? Please, please um, do. A man in uh, on a they were on Ascension Island in the British te- territory of Saint Helena. Uh, a man punched a shark to scare it away from attacking him and his wife. Uh, the wife had already been nicked on the leg or bit on the leg. Um, it's not clear how bad that was, but. I I kind of like this story, and you know I, the details of it are not uh, really necessary to what I like about it so much. Is that apparently that works? You can punch a shark. That was always <laughs> a thing. That was always a thing. Like when we were growing up, it was like no big deal. Because you and I grew up in the eighties when I and I would say it was like peak shark paranoia, right? Because the Jaws, totally. movies, the Jaws, Jaws movies came out, and and all of those movies in succession. And it was like the thing you talk about when you're at the beach is sharks. And when you're in the ocean, you were just looking around for the fin because at any given moment, a shark might pop up and eat you. It's I don't even know why we're going to the ocean anymore. All we're doing the entire time we're here is being anxious about sharks. But there's always one guy that there's uh, my next door neighbor was always like, yes, yeah, no big deal. If a shark attacks you punch it in the nose, and it'll swim away. And that always sounded like a dumb plan to me. Why would you want to make the shark angrier? But apparently in this case, it worked. 
Yeah, that's that's a crazy story. Um, first of all, yeah, I'm I'm not one of those guys who's going to jump in the ocean in a cage and go shark diving. I just it's not my thing. I went to a to a like a, a resort once, and I think it was Mexico or Aruba. It was one of those places, and then they said like, oh, you can go to like the local water park, and they have. You know, it was sort of like um, uh, you could swim with dolphins, you could do this, and then you could like hang out with these little nurse sharks, which are, you know, I don't know, about the length of your forearm or so. Yeah, but, but if they turn on sharks. you, if they turn on you, yeah. yeah. But they, they told us, like, oh, these sharks are blind. So what you can do is, like, you know, basically blind. So they, they use their noses, this and that. And, and they turned them over, these brave, brave people in the water, and you could feed them. And you could feed them, but like, as soon as you get the fish kind of vaguely close, these steel jaws come snapping out, and they make really loud snapping noises. And I was like, nope, never doing it, not doing it. So the idea of just punching a a thing in the nose in desperation like that, I mean, that takes a lot of of brain power because I think, you know, the human brain says, you know, fight or flight. I'm not fighting. I'm flighting like crazy. So the guy that that punches a, a shark in the nose, I mean... You know, kudos to you for kind of getting it all together and saying, "Okay." Also, how do you even get any? How do you even get any weight behind a punch when you you're can. in the water? I feel like you'd just be flailing. Well, you'd be slowly going, you know, toward toward the nose. And I also think, like, I didn't I didn't read the article, but I I, I think the theory is that like maybe you know if a shark feels something on its nose, maybe it backs away. I don't know. You know, like I don't know. It's been confronted. Who knows? Uh, but I, I would not punch a shark nose. I would be petrified that it would also eat my hand while right. I was punching. It's just going to eat your hand. That's just always what yeah. I assumed. Um, have you, uh, top of your head, what is the scariest encounter you've ever had with an animal? Oh, gosh. That's a really good question. And, I, I, you know, we both we grew up with, both grew up in the New York area, so we're not uh, out. I, I Usually don't know you, the, biggest, the biggest threat that wildlife poses to me is if I hit it with my car. Oh, there you go. Okay. I mean, I, it's I never, never happened. It's never point. happened for me, but that is that is like the biggest uh, on my day to day life. My my biggest concern over wildlife is hitting it with my car. That would be the most damaging thing that could happen to me. It would be worse. Yeah. The, it would be worse for the deer. I never, I never had anything like crazy spiders. Maybe I and I hate spiders. We can get into that some other time. But like a spider, you know, crawling up your leg, like that's nothing. Um, I'll tell you a story of 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 somebody who did. And if I was in the same situation, I don't know how I would have acted. Um, I don't know if my wife will love me telling this story. My wife's um, a former uh, boyfriend in high school. Oh man, she should not listen to this podcast. She uh, went. They went to to um, uh, Fiji and they stayed in like a little thing. And apparently there was like a massive spider on the wall. We're talking like a black widow or one of those, you know, the ones that are like as big as your, you know, I don't know, your face. And, uh, you know, they had to deal with that. And apparently like, you know, he had to hit it or something and didn't. And, and like, you know, or said he did. There's a whole thing with it. The point of the story is. Long story short, I married her. Yeah. Right. (laughs) But also uh, that I would I don't know if I would actually attack the spider, you know, like with my shoe. Like, hey, what if it didn't go squish? What? You know, and also like, you know, I'm not into killing insects. I I have a whole weird thing about that. I'd rather kind of like usher it out the door. So I don't know. It was just. Yeah, I don't know if if I would do that uh, or, you know, even uh, attempt to do anything. I'd be like, we're leaving Fiji immediately. We're getting on a plane. I had. So I, once I was in the water in Florida, and this is a while back, and like the, the guy, a, a lifeguard on an ATV came up and was like, get out of the water. And 
my friends and I were all like, why? You're not going to, it's, it's God's water. You can't tell us to get out of the water. <laughs> and the guy was like, there's sharks in the water. And so that was a good, like, you know, 12 seconds of adrenaline getting out of the water at that point. Um, yeah. Trying yeah. To, Do that running thing. Trying to run look like the, you were yeah. playing it cool when you're absolutely <laughs> not playing it cool. Um, but the scariest thing, the scariest animal interaction I've ever had, uh, and I love dogs. But I was in I was in Thailand. I was in Phuket, Thailand, and I had just gotten in, so it was crazy jet lagged. And I kind of went out for a walk, like in the middle of the night. And and I was like along the beach, and it felt fairly safe, at least in terms of like people. Uh, but there were stray dogs, and there were like stray dogs sort of around me, and they kind of come up to you, and they're friendly because it's a touristy area, and I think people feed them. Uh, and I, I was sort of walking along the road, and like you know there were maybe. 10 or 15 stray dogs right around me. And then I, I sort of like like broadened my perspective and looked out to the sides of the road. And it felt like there were just like hundreds of dogs, hundreds yeah. of dogs. And that freaked me out. That was like, oh God, like if these dogs, because like dogs are a little bit of a wild card, especially when they're stray. And it's like, it, it just takes one dog to turn on me here. And then I'm torn apart by dogs. And and no one's even going to know because my wife's asleep in our hotel room and I'm out for a walk in Phuket, Thailand. Like, what is even going to happen? Uh, I guess it doesn't matter because I'm going to be dead from dogs. And so that was it for me. That's petrifying. Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was a scary one. Uh, scary. Give me your next good thing. Uh, we're, since we're talking about, I don't know, vacations and things like that, I just got back from a, a, a quick jaunt to Arizona for uh, a few days off. Um, and we were at, um, a resort in Phoenix and there were golf carts because there was, a, it's a golf club. Um, it's the Arizona grand. You should go. It's lovely. Uh, and my, my son, who's almost three, um, he loves things with wheels and things that move trains, cars, anything. And he was obsessed with golf carts. And I was sort of Standing there while he watched, you know, 50 million golf, golf carts go by. And I was just thinking to myself, I said, man, you know, golf, you know, people think golf is lame. And I don't blame them because, you know, some people just think like, you know, a lazy day sort of it's not really lazy. But standing around hitting a ball is just boring and sleep inducing. But I, I, I thought about it. and I was like, you know what? Like golf is way more awesome because, you know, you have golf carts. And I, I got to say, I love driving a golf cart because I drive like a maniac. I got my license really late. I never got to like race a car or drive it 100 miles an hour. So the next best thing for me is to drive a golf cart uh, really fast down a hill or, you know, something like that. I, I, a friend of mine once, you know, skidded to a stop in a rainy condition. It almost flipped over that, you know, talk about adrenaline. That was huge. And, you know, also the fact that, like, you know, you see these guys toting around beer at, you know, 7 o'clock in the morning. Like, the idea that you, you can, like, drive around in a golf cart and, you know, have a beer while you're playing is, like, the coolest thing about this sport. And it makes it infinitely better. So I'm, I'm pleading to everybody, all you listeners, just, you know, go and play golf if you don't. It's great. It's fun. You can drink occasionally. You can, you can drive a golf cart really as fast as it can go, which isn't that fast. But, you know, you can still kind of have a blast with it. Uh, and, and, yeah. So uh, that All was right. sort of my take. I love golf carts. I got a follow-up question. Get... I got a follow-up question, though. This is for real. If you were to arrive at my golf course and I were to say you have two options, you can play golf, you can take this this tall boy of delicious beer, your favorite beer, it's ice cold, and you can go and you can take a golf cart and you can go out and play around a golf, or you can just drive the golf cart around for the next three and a half hours on our <laughs> golf course. Which would you prefer? 
I mean, obviously, I'd drive the golf cart. Right, you around. would definitely drive the golf cart. I around. would, I would much, much rather drive the golf cart for three and a half hours because that part is is by far the most fun of golfing for me. Is you get to drive a golf cart, and I did drive from the age of seventeen, and I did do all sorts of stupid things in a car. But it's still not old for me to drive like a slightly different seeming car device. It's super fun. Um, I think if there was a more like if they incorporated like a, maybe some sort of element of like go kart racing into golf then I would be way more likely to golf. Yeah, I, I understand that. Like, what if, uh, golf, what if golf had, like, a timed component to it where the faster you golfed was really... Like, like it, okay, I, I mean... Yes. Does it really? I've seen that. Like, yeah, I've seen... I've they seen run. They probably run. They where, probably don't use the cart, right? Yeah, I think they've, they've run. They haven't used the cart because I feel like that's cheating. But I've seen people, like, race golf. I'll have to so look here's it up on what the I want. Here's what I want. I want it to be... Where there's no the score doesn't matter at all, right? All that all that it is is how fast can you complete this golf course from the front from you know first hole to the 18th. So you have to play golf, right? You have to hit the ball and you have to go chase it and you have to hit it again. So it does reward your golfing skill because if you're only taking three shots, you're going to be moving quicker than if you're me and you're taking 19 or whatever. But ultimately, it's a test of like how quickly can you get out of the golf cart hit the golf ball, get back into the golf cart, speed over to the next golf ball and keep hitting it until you get it in. And it's going to be, so it's like a, it's like a, yeah, I, qu- it's like a mix of like, it's like a golf and also like a little bit of demolition derby. I'm, I'm in. That's okay. brilliant. I uh, love that idea. Would you not play that golf? I would definitely play that golf. Yeah, absolutely. Also, it, it, it uh, eliminates something about golf that, that I have trouble with sometimes, which is, is it takes forever to play, you know? Like uh, and then, you dump- get, then you're with some guy who's like, play, who's throwing the grass up for the wind and he's lining up his shot and it's it, this whole thing. It just hit the ball. It's just hit the ball. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you get to race too. And, you, you know, imagining, you know, you soup up, you can soup up your golf cart in some way because the, the worst thing about certain golf carts is you, you slam your foot on the accelerator and it doesn't go anywhere. It's, you know, it's sort of anticlimactic. You're like, woohoo, I'm in a golf cart. And no, boom. you want to take the governor like, off so you can bring, get it up to 40 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the, but the only problem is for poor golf uh, course owners is that their courses would be torn up. It's so going it to be a really like, lousy golf course. Or it's going to be yeah. like the entire thing's artificial turf. Like, I don't think the surface matters as much as it does in golf as it does in my golf hybrid. I think that you have to sort of give up the fresh-cut green grass in favor of the high-speed adrenaline rush that is going to come with new Ted Golf, which is what I'm calling Re- it. That's a tentative title. Ted Golf. All right, new Ted Golf. I, I was going to say race golf or something. Yeah. I don't know. That's lame, too, you know. Uh, but, yeah, uh, uh, I'm in. It, it sounds like a great idea. We need, a, we need a good name for it. We need to, like, you know, I don't know, racing golf, speed golf. I don't know. That seems... New Ted Golf. It's new Ted Golf. And All right, it's the golf. hottest sport coming to your town. I feel like, I feel like our colleague Luke, who is a, was a college golfer and yeah. obviously would destroy me in a regular – golf match i feel like my like deep-seated aggression would really help me in a round of new ted golf against luke <laughs> challenge accepted yeah let's let's get luke on the line and challenge him to yeah it. um can he drive a golf cart like i can i doubt it he's gonna be driving on the left side of the road because <laughs> he's british right uh-huh. um all right give me oh that was that was your last good thing uh that was your that was your second good second. thing yes. um all right, my last good thing uh, is kind of a stupid one. I mean, it's just it's just one play, and I will describe the play 
because it was a big play. It was in the in the game between the Dodgers and the Giants on Monday night. Uh, obviously, you know, one of the great rivalries in baseball. The Giants off to a horrible start. Dodgers have been okay. Uh, Dodgers are down by one run in the top of the ninth. They got two outs and a runner on second. It's Justin Turner on second. Uh, Adrian, Gun- Adrian Gonzalez is batting. He swings and misses at a Mark Melanson pitch. And Buster Posey, the Giants catcher, smartly notices that Turner has strayed just a little bit too far off second base. Throws behind the runner a pickoff throw from the catcher to second base, gets him, and ends the game there. And what I love about it so much is, I mean, it's it's an interesting play. It's just not, you don't see a lot of pickoffs at second base, period, from the catcher. But for it to happen to end the game is also sort of a, a, an interesting phenomenon. But I love it in, in sort of like a, a micro sense in that Turner was in the spot where he's running on contact, right? Like if you if it's two outs and, and you're the tying run in the ninth inning, you want to be off as soon as that guy hits the ball. And so he took, when Gonzalez swung, you see, like he takes one big jump and one slightly too early jump to toward third base because he's thinking contact, I'm running, he sees Gonzalez start swinging, and he goes. He didn't wait for the contact. And it's that that amount of time, that one little hiccup, was the difference between getting back safely and being out is so much of what I love about baseball. It seems like all of these things just sort of play out so perfectly where you screw up and you fail, you do everything right, and you succeed. And so this is a great, you screwed up, and now you failed, Justin Turner. Yeah, it's just such a heads-up play. And I know that that phrase is thrown around a lot, but that really totally is just heads like... Up. Totally heads-up. Heads-up on, on Posey. Heads-up on, I think it was Brandon Crawford, the shortstop, for sneaking yep. in behind him, for even having the presence of mind to look at, in a situation where everybody's focused on the batter. That might have been a signal, too, right? You know, where it's, where it's like, hey, I've noticed, you know, some kind of communication to Posey. Like, hey, I've noticed that Turner's mm-hmm. taking, like, a little extra step here, you know? Maybe, you know, try throw down. And it's... Yeah, that's a beautiful baseball play and also kind of a, a rare game ender uh, that I like. It also g- it gives me an excuse to uh, talk about my one of my favorite weird space baseball terms that I don't think people use enough anymore, uh, which is tutlan, which uh, is yeah. um, which is one of my favorite all timers. Uh, uh, it was invented by a website uh, I think ten years ago, almost ten years ago, um, and it stands for thrown out on the base paths like a nincompoop. First of all. The use of nincompoop is the greatest thing because nincompoop is a great, great <laughs> phrase. And, and when it's you're used thrown to, on the, out on the base paths, that's how you feel. Right. You feel like, you know, a nincompoop. And you hear about like, you know, oh, never make the final out of third or the first. Out, you know, right. It's it's that's one of those unwritten rules, whatever. And it just reminds me, sadly, of the the 2000 Mets and, and uh, uh, Timo Perez. But we don't have to go there as as fellow Mets fans. Uh, uh, but yeah, he got too blonde. He, you know, he feel he probably feels like an ink poop that he took that little extra step. And I watched the video a few times. Um, the lead isn't so bad, but it's when he leans a little bit to to third base where he's sort of, yeah, you're right. It's, it's going on contact. And you know, on three, one that Adrian Gonzalez is up at the plate that he's going to take a mighty, mighty swing. Uh, so you go. Um, but yeah, uh, the moment where you see Buster come out of his, his squat, and and throw that you can see you know turner i think you can see this sort of the mechanics in his head going oh no no i'm a nincompoop yeah. so big old tuplon right there shout out to the creators of tuplon for for coming up with that term 
It is a good one because it ex- it describes it feels like a, the sound of what that is, which is being you've been embarrassed, you've been humiliated because you were on base. That's the most important thing you need to do, and now you have to be removed from the bases for being dumb. Yeah, uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about with this play, by the way, is is one of the underrated things about baseball to me in in all the years that we've all watched it is what a catcher can do from a squat. Uh, like Buster did. I mean, obviously you come out and the mechanics of throwing to second base, I think, are just so vastly underrated. It just made me think about um, two catchers that that have done it so well over the years, and they can do it without getting up from a squat. Um, I was watching highlights the other day, randomly of Yadier Molina, who was doing it, who's done it for years, where he can throw out a guy from just, you know, from nothing. He doesn't have to move. He can basically just, you know, in one motion come without hop- hopping up. Throw it a second. Yeah, the arm, and the arm strength for that is incredible. Like, just to have insane. the pure arm strength, yeah. Yeah, and you, the guy who used to do it when we were kids, uh, who was amazing at it, and my, my father, I think, who was a catcher in softball, um, always pointed out to me, it was Benito Santiago. Uh-huh. Yeah, which always. It was, like, a, yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, he basically just, just caught from his knees. It was it was incredible. Yeah, so, so I, I think, you know, you see a play like that and you realize – that defensive catchers, which obviously have become a bigger thing in, in the years of of uh, of, of stats uh, coming coming into a, a bigger place, you know that is such a huge thing and uh, should not be overlooked. Uh, yeah, I mean, those. I I think that's a big thing with Yadier Molina. That's that's fascinating. Is is he routinely leads the league in uh, caught stealing percentage? Like he's still throwing out the most guys. Uh, or the guy throwing out guys at the highest rate, and then how many guys have not stolen because he's back there, right? How many guys just never even plan on going, or have been? I mean, you can count how many pickoffs he's had. It's also a lot. But how many guys have just you know not been able to take that extra base because they had to be staying close to the bag on the pitch because Molina's back there and he might come with it at any moment, right? Like it's just like the now all of a sudden the ball's coming your way. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a cool thing. It's a very fun. I think an aggressive catcher is a very fun thing to watch. Yes, and Buster is uh, is amazing. It, 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 he can do it all. That that kid's a future Hall of Famer if he keeps it going. I will say also that I caught uh, eight innings on Sunday, and I don't think that I even got the ball fully to second base in a single warm-up throw. Like, I have, I have to one-hop that. I have the worst arm. Um, and so, yeah, seeing, like, Posey, any of these guys, it's just you can appreciate. If you try it, you can appreciate the strength of their arms, especially if you try it with a weak arm like mine. <laughs> um, give me your last good thing. Last good thing is 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 a very uh it's 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 for me. I'm on the podcast. It's my show with you as as you know a friend of the show. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna just take this opportunity to talk about something that I will probably write about. We're taping this on Tuesday, you know, noonish. So uh, we'll see if I can get this out today. Um, the challenge, which is one of the greatest uh, TV competition shows of all time, and in fact a sport in and of itself uh, on MTV, um, has just announced that they're going to do something called Champs versus pros in which they're going to get 10 former athletes um, to compete against some of the, the the champions from the show, which sort of, to me, confirms the fact that it is a sport because you get guys like uh, Sean Merriman and uh, Lindsey Jacobellis, who's a former, you know, a, a mm. snowboarder and Lolo uh, Jones. Known to me during my uh, Olympic sports days as Lindsey Taco Bellis. <laughs> of course, for the Taco Bell guy, that makes total right. sense. Um, CM Punk, too, is a UFC fighter, is going to do it, and so on and so forth. 
hosted by uh, Victor Cruz, former Giants receiver. I I'm so excited about this. I I said it in our, our group Slack this morning, our group uh, chat this morning with like I gave it like 50 million um, uh, exclamation points. I love the show so well, deeply. Because, go back, go yeah. back. First, tell Please. me what yeah. is, I have never seen this show. What okay. is what is the challenge in question? Is it like the cinnamon sure. challenge or is it an athletic thing? Well, it's an athletic thing. So, uh, did you watch the Real World and Road Rules growing up, or at all? Uh, very early. Like I watched the Duncan season and the Puck season of yeah, Real World. Everybody, right? Yeah. So what ended up happening is they they did a, a a an athletic competition sort of show called Road Rules, where it was just basically the real world in a Winnebago, and they would stop around the United States in certain places, and they would say, okay. You have to climb this wall and do this thing, and you get money and prizes if you do it. And if you don't complete it, you fail. And then what happened eventually is that the the whole concept grew into the Road Rules Real World Challenge. Which oh, they so get that's these. what that's what because I remember when that was a thing. This is the challenge yeah, yeah, yeah. born of that. Yeah. That, so what ended up happening is right that like that became a thing every year, and suddenly it sort of morphed into its own franchise. Uh, still tied a bit to the real world, but almost became its own beast where you'd have these these guys who and, and gals who were on there, you know, repeatedly who become their own stars in their own right, their own like challenge stars. Um, uh, and I actually got the opportunity to interview a few of them last summer and I was sort of giddy about it, um, but, but very professional, I hope, uh, just interviewing the, these folks to find out like how they uh, trained for this athletic competition. And it's it's become such a thing that they have to mentally figure out sort of how to play the game the right way and how to align themselves with the right people and then maybe double-cross them later. But also added to that, they have to do these wacky, weird challenges like everything from eating weird stuff and, and uh, to, you know, figuring out a puzzle to climbing giant structures over water and completing some kind of crazy thing where they, they, they have to like grab flags while flying on, on, um, uh, wires and so on and so forth. And I am obsessed with it. I watch it every year. Um, I, you know, I, I just love the, these people, even though they're, they're, you know, I don't know, uh, I'm sort of starting to get to the point where I don't know a lot of them from their own shows. They started, started dipping into the, uh, the group of, of people from, are you the one, which is another MTV show. So I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm used to it. I like though, when I like when a when yeah. a network will like make someone a celebrity and then put them on things that are for celebrities, right? Like it's like like the Jersey Shore people, right? It's like first it's like right. here's this show about these kids from New Jersey, and then now they're celebrities, so now we're gonna put them on like the Celebrity Road Rules Challenge or whatever. It's it's a very right. weird little. Uh, it's like a pretty good move. It's pretty 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 shrewd by the folks down there at Viacom. Uh, yeah, and and now they're gonna get these these sort of uh, real athletes who are are you know actual athletes to challenge these people who are challenge athletes, and I think that's really gonna be awesome and fun. And they're doing it for charity, so it's for a good cause. So I'm all about this. Can't wait to watch it. Who will be the best in the pool? See, I think I'm kind of leaning like Lolo Jones because you know somebody like that has that all around athleticism because what, what we've all learned watching the show, and this is actually something that, that the one of the, I think probably the biggest star of the show, Johnny bananas, who's a, a, a funny dude who was on one of the world, one of the real world seasons and became sort of the star who's won like six championships on the show. He said that, you know, you, to prepare for a show like this, you can't just be like top heavy football player. You have to have like grip strength. You have to be able to like hang using your body weight. So it's sort of some of these things that, that 
you don't necessarily train for. So I feel like somebody like Lolo Jones who can run, who can lift, who you know has some some endurance will do really well on a show like this. So that's sort of my pick right now for like who would would succeed. Um, Sean Merriman, who was a great football player, lights out, uh, you know, great linebacker. I'm not so sure because football players on the show have not done that well. Yeah, and I would guess like with a guy like that, just the scale of some of the obstacles probably will be off. You know, like it's if they're built for regular human beings, like Merriman might look like a regular dude on on the football field, but he's like 6'4 and 270 or something, right? Like maybe you're just right. like the, the thing that swings around and might hit you in the head is is too high because it is too low because you're six foot four because you're a monster, right? Like all of these guys are just giant. I would bet, I would bet that you're right. That I, but like, I would also imagine that like a UFC guy, right? Like CM Punk is a UFC guy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like that might also be like, cause those guys, I, I feel like it's all about like functional strength and all different, like, like they're doing a lot of hanging off things and stuff in their training. So I bet those guys are good at stuff like that. Right, and I also think there's there's another element to it. We have to see what the rules of the show are. Uh, they sort of mentioned a few of them. Sort of, you know, it, the you know eliminated player has to do. You know, part of the challenge is that you, you get voted in by your own team. Sometimes it depends on the rules. They always change the rules every year. So sometimes you get voted in, and sometimes if you do badly at a competition, you automatically have to go into a one-on-one competition to see who stays in. And so I think somebody like CM Punk would excel if it's uh, one of these really intense one-on-one physical competitions, you know, these, you know, challenge guys who have been through it are going to get smoked by a guy like that. Um, there's one, like, for example, where two people have to get into a circle and they have a bar that they need to hold and whoever takes the bar away from the other person wins basically. And so something like that, I think like a a UFC fighter would, would shellac one of these, these challenge. Well, unless he got like Sean Merriman and then like the, the raw strength plays into it. Right. 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 Exactly. Um, That's, that's fun. Who, what athlete in the world would be the best suited for the challenge? Who, if you had to pick one person to win the challenge, who would it be? Is oh there a, is there a political component to it? Like, do you have to stay not yes. getting voted? Okay, so can factor that into. Oh man, that is a tricky, tough question right there. I'm well, that's why I host like, the podcast, Charles. Yeah, you're brilliant. You are you're you're, you're <laughs> a smart dude there. Um, oh man, who's like a decathlete who is a smart, awesome decathlete? That's, Dan that's and where Dave. I kind of go. Dan and yeah, Dan Dave. And Dave. That's only, the first. The, exactly. The only that's the only decathletes I know. Mind. And only and the only people well. who know them are at least thirty three years old, right? Like exactly. Well, so yeah, the equivalent of that. I don't know, like somebody like that. Maybe like I don't know Michael Phelps, but I don't know if Michael Phelps would do that well with sort of the the political component because I think he'd be very chill. Um, but you need somebody with like endurance and who can kind of sneak their way around. It's I'm like trying to think of good athletes on Twitter who are like that would sort of indicate like shrewd brilliance in some way to me I, and i can't think what of anybody, about like but... how would derek jeter do just like i know he doesn't have like the raw athleticism of some people but like would anyone ever vote derek jeter off the island oh, or whatever they're voting can't him vote on? the captain in no he certainly can't right? do that um but you know he might he might end up having to be voted in. yeah you need somebody who can who can kind of I, see, I like Derek Jeter for that role because he'd be sort of slick and smooth with people. You know what I mean? The way that he was sometimes with the media where he'd just sort of be like, you know. He was always the coolest guy in the room. There was never a time when right, Derek exactly. Jeter wasn't the coolest guy in the room. Exactly. So he's the coolest guy in the room. He's having drinks with everybody and, and, and sort of at the night parties that they, they all have and just, you know, kind of talking to people. And maybe he'd drop like a little thing like, 
yo, that 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 dude over there said something crazy about you, and sort of he would be the the puppet master. So you need, I think it would be have to be like a combination, like a decathlete's all roundness combined with Derek Jeter's cool and political savvy, and um, the um, I don't know the the um, camera sense of a, another athlete that I can't think of. Maybe like um, uh, you know I don't know Marshawn Lynch or something like that. Uh, maybe that's a bad example, but somebody like that who can sort of, you know, maybe the, the the camera loves them, and 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 I don't know if that helps, but somebody like that. How about how about this is a random name that came to came to my head. How about Javier Bias? How about how about that guy? Really good sure. athlete, guy who can do a ton of different things on the baseball field. He's fast. He is, he throws well. He's accurate. He's versatile, and he is very camera friendly, and seems like a type of guy that most people would like. Yeah, maybe that's a good call. I mean, Cameron Reddy, I, I only cited that because I always wonder if there's, like, secret producer behind the scenes, like, kind of, like, being right. like, don't, don't vote, vote the hot people out. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. But that does, I don't think that plays in, but, uh, you know. Because it's I, MTV, so they're only hot people, right? <laughs> yes, that is, that is actually, I think that's decently accurate. Um, but, yeah, somebody like Javier Baez, sort of a, a, a jack-of-all-trades, is somebody who would do really well there. Uh, all right, Charles, this has been fun. Always a blast, man. Always have a blast with you. You can check out Charles and myself uh, writing at ftw.usatoday.com. Charles is on Twitter. Twitter. He's at by Charles Curtis. Are you still at by Charles Curtis? Indeed, yeah. All right, I'm I'm at OG Ted Berg. You can check out the For the Win podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud. Rate us, review us. Tune in next time. Thanks for joining us, and Charles, uh, thanks again for joining me. Thanks for having me.